0: This is Katie Prejean-McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. This week on Ave Explores, we have been digging into what the church looks like in the Americas. And the content that we've created for this first week of of the series has looked at the church in Canada, has looked at the church in the United States, has looked at the life of a saint from South America. And today we have a conversation that's going to dig into some of the key differences between the church in Mexico and the United States, and really look at the gift that the church is in those two countries, the gift that Catholics are to those two countries, and and even more so, what the church looks like and how the church operates and how the people of God exist within those two different realities, the church in Mexico, the church in the United States. My guest today, Brenda Noriega, works for Mary Knoll Missions, and she has a lot of excellent insights to offer about the church in Mexico versus the church in the United States of America. And she says something in the show that I, I was particularly struck by uh, that I haven't really been able to get out of my head since we had this interview. She talked about the role of the laity in the American church specifically how um, there's a lot of lay leadership within the life of the American church and how that was something that she was inspired by and encouraged by so much so uh, that she is now a lay leader within the church herself. And that was something that I did not necessarily know about the church in America before this conversation or did not know that was different in other places. And so once again, this series, this whole Catholicism around the world series was enlightening to me, was inspiring to me, was something that I was grateful to hear You can find all of the content that we are creating for you in this Ave Explorers Catholicism Around the World series over at AveMariaPress.com. You can click on the top. There's a free resources button. You can sign up for the weekly emails to get all of the content that we're making, podcasts, videos, Facebook Live conversations, articles, social media exclusives, all in the hope that you will learn about the beauty and the particularity of our church as we journey around the world to look at the church globally. Today's conversation with Brenda Noriega, I think, will be one that you will be inspired by, you will be challenged by, and you will certainly enjoy. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Brenda Noriega. Well, Brenda, thanks so much for joining us on Ave Explorers. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Uh, this is really, really exciting. Yeah, so we've we've encountered and met one another many times through youth ministry and young adult ministry across the country, um, but I've never really gotten to sit down with you and just like dig in, like, who is Brenda? Where is she from? What is she bringing to the ministry world? I see you're in an office right now. If I were to finally get to have that drink with you that I wanted to always have at membership meeting for the Federation and at NCYC, what would I learn about Brenda Noriega? Where are you? What are you doing? Who are you?
1: Uy, (laughs) so let me see where to start. So I work for uh, Marinal Fathers and Brothers, and I've been working for them for almost a year. And um, I am a mission educator promoter. I've been learning a lot about mission in this year and what it really means to be a missionary disciple. And how to like um, encounter those in the margins, which um, which is fascinating in, in the sense of, of discipleship, right? And so I've been learning a lot about that. Part of my job is to accompany young adults as they as they encounter um, their peripheries, as they as they mm. even discover what are their peripheries. And so we have a two-year process uh, for young adults, and we have uh, these young adult communities across the nation. And so young adults have committed to a two-year process, which mm. is mind-blowing for mm-hmm. me, because coming from diocesan ministry, what we know is that young adults cannot commit, and that you cannot have young adult ministry for more than six months. And so that's actually something I was talking about before. And so now I'm I'm just like I'm in shock, but I love it. Um, I feel very privileged to be part of of Mary Knoll, With all honesty, um, it has been beautiful my my one year with them. And before Marinol well, like I mentioned, <laughs> I come from uh, Diocesan Ministry. So I work for the Diocese of San Bernardino as a Young Adult Programs Coordinator, and before that, the Diocese of Fresno as the Hispanic Ministry Coordinator. Mm. So I have a heart for youth and young adults, and yeah, so that's pretty much like my focus in ministry, young people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So is that because you were super into youth ministry stuff as a young person, or did you kind of fall into that professionally later on because you saw a need? Like, what's the story there?
1: So, um, the Lord encountered encounter me or I accepted him. Uh, he was always reaching out my whole life, and now I can see it. Yeah. But he really saved me, um, or I encountered the Lord when, when I was 17. Mm. And so I went through so much darkness in my teenage years, um, not because of my family or anything, but the decisions I made. And some of those decisions are um, to the point of like Satanism, dark magic, mm. and like a very intense um, situations. And so I had my my retreat when I came to the United States. I encountered the faith and I went to my first retreat and um, and I healed. You know, it took me two years to fully heal um, mm-hmm. and the help of my spiritual director at the time and my in my group, really the the coordinator, the, the core team of the ministry I was part of, they, they were key in, in that healing process. Um, and so because of that experience, I've always felt like this need of, of sharing God's love and, and letting young people know how, how loved they are. Uh, the age of 15, I had my first boyfriend and probably like many young people, but, um, Unfortunately, by the age of 16, uh, I started going through emotional, psychological, and then even sexual abuse with my first boyfriend. And Mm -hmm. so um, I don't want any young person, especially young women, to go through those experiences. And I always think, if only you knew the love that God has for you. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's where my desire came from, I think, from... From how I encounter God and, and what I know he has to offer to young yeah. people. And so I just have this desire for them to know him and to know how loved they are, the mm-hmm. same, the same way I I have encountered him.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, thank you for sharing that. I, I think a lot of us in youth and young adult ministry, or even just a young person who comes you know, curiously, like, oh, I wonder what this is all about. Like when they encounter people like you who say, look, I've been where you've been. I'm still walking through fire in some parts of my life. Like to be able to share, just like you said, like the profound love of God it's it's witness. It's testimony. That's discipleship, right? Discipleship isn't just listing off the Ten Commandments, but it's really encountering someone and saying, I've got a story just like yours. Let's talk about that. Let's share that. You mentioned coming to the United States of America. You came from Mexico. Um, when you first got to the United States, what uh, this is a two part question. Because um, this series is about Catholicism around the world. So, like, you've seen Catholicism in Mexico, you've seen Catholicism in the United States. What was maybe the first thing you noticed that was different about Catholicism here? And then maybe what was the same and might have been comforting or might have reminded you of Mexico? Kind of how did you navigate those waters? Mm,
1: so, first of all, I. I mean, I was not um, practicing Catholicism in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I took all my sacraments because, well, pretty much you are Mexican. It's very, very much part of the tradition. But right? you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I actually was raised pretty much evangel- evangelical. Okay. Um, and yeah, and so I I was very Catholic in December. Because of Las Posadas, right, and the yeah. Lady of Guadalupe, and so even um, that was interesting for me to experience with my family. Even very young, I never understood how my parents will let me go to Las Posadas, or um, or to you know to or Lady of Guadalupe, or the, mm-hmm. why they will take me. And, and so that's something very interesting I, I, I experienced. And now I go back and and I evaluate the situation. Um, so the first thing I experienced in the United States once I encountered uh, the Lord and, and I start learning uh, about the faith, and I fell in love <laughs> with the Catholic <laughs> faith. Um, and so the first thing I experienced is the role of the lady. I think in mm-hmm. the United States, the lay people have a very, um, how to say, like a, a, a strong role, right? And, mm-hmm. and we really are protagonists of the church. Um, we really take on roles of um, even positions, paid positions, and that's something we don't we don't have in Latin America. They are not paid positions, and, and if they are, um, usually are for the clergy or for religious sisters, but not for lay people. And so um, this is actually an interesting story because when I started working for the Diocese of Fresno, my I went one summer. I went for vacations uh, back home, and so my mom said hey, would you come and meet with the pastor? Because then my parents also returned to the faith. And so that has been a beautiful journey as well. So they are Catholic. And so my mom was like, would you come and talk to a pastor, right? Um, and he said, what, like, what for? You're like, just come and talk to Father Moy. Because I kept telling him that you work for a diocese over there, but he doesn't understand. And so <laughs> I was just like so annoyed. And I said, okay, I'm going. Um,
0: (laughs) Got to do it for mom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but for an hour, I was trying to explain to him and I told him, well, I work for a diocese um, and and I coordinate, you know, pretty much any Hispanic affairs and activities and evangelization and this and that. He he said, are you the bishop's secretary? (laughs) And I I was like, "Um, no. I'm more like, um, helping the bishop for his vision and his pastoral work, you know, in the parishes, it was like, yeah. So, so like a secretary that is active and you know, you know, and like, nope. And so we had an entire hour of conversations, and he just couldn't understand. Yeah. Um, and so I will say that that's the first thing I noticed: mm. the active role of of the laity in the church, but also the diversity, right? Mm. Um. That's the second thing I noticed, the diversity and unfortunately the division, even within the church of the different cultural families. Um, In my parish, it was Hispanic and those who are not Hispanic, um, predominantly English um, speakers or, (laughs) you know, Euro descendants. And so there was very marked division Mm-hmm. and so that's another thing i i witness and and i and i notice coming to the church in the united states.
0: Yeah. Well, so i want to dig in on that because you're not the first person to mention like that's something that's going on in the american catholic church right now is this divide whether it's liturgical preferences whether it's even like within political conversations right now. I mean, you've got the conservative catholics on the right and you've got what they claim to be liberal catholics on the left and it's it's I get frustrated by that. I'm sure you get frustrated by that. How do you think within, a, I mean, maybe within your role at Mary Knoll, what you saw on the front lines of diocesan work, even as just a parishioner yourself and a Catholic church, what's maybe one step every single one of us can take to start to heal some of those divides or even some of that like cultural difference between, you know, the Hispanic mass and the, the Euro-centered mass, like you said, like what would be a thing that we could maybe all do?
1: I think the first thing is to get to know each other, um, mm-hmm. being vulnerable and and sharing our backgrounds. I think um, I believe there is unity and, and vulnerability mm-hmm. um, because then it's not my story, but somehow it becomes the story of us, mm-hmm. right? It's not anymore a me versus you, um, but it's really, we share wounds. And so in that woundedness and, and in that healing we can really recognize that, that we are one body and, and that we are all children of the yeah. Lord. And so I think it's, it's the communication, definitely. Um, but it's also recognizing the implicit biases. And and I have my own personal story on how um, I realized I was, I actually had implicit biases against my African-American brothers and sisters. Mm. And so I learned that about me in college because I was taking a certification in cross-cultural competency. And at the time I was being, I was working as a community organizer and I was the only faith-based community organizer and I was the only Catholic. Um, and that was my role to uh, to teach people about the Catholic social teaching in parishes and help them to um, advocate for their communities. And so being the only Hispanic in, in my um at work, really, I was the only Hispanic and the only Catholic. And so I always noticed that I didn't feel fully comfortable with mm. my co-worker, two of my co-workers and the two of them from, you know, African-American. And, um, and I just didn't know and I couldn't understand why. And so one day in class, uh, my professors started talking about implicit biases and how the media um, the media portrays specific groups of people mm-hmm. and, and even the, the the Barbies, right? I mean, things yeah. like that in the last 10 years, we now have Barbies of color, but that's, that's not what we had before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the standards of beauty and the standards of, of who is violent. And so all of that information gets to us, even if, if we don't want to, it just, it's there in our brains. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so we, until we are aware of them and then we start working on them. Um, and so I learned that in class and then I started thinking, right? Like, wait a minute, is this how I feel? Do I think they are like criminals? Like, mm-hmm. know, what do I think about them? And so I started praying. I actually took it to prayer and yeah. the Holy Spirit um, really helped me to heal and confess how I Mm -hmm. felt so I went and talked to to my colleagues but one of them specifically bryson and I told him I have to confess something to you (laughs) um and I was very embarrassed of Mm -hmm. course but I knew I needed to confess it so that that wouldn't have any strength on me yeah also to start getting to know his community um and destroy any ideas of that the media had like created in my Mm -hmm. in my, Mm -hmm. in my mind right and, uh, and so I told him and he said, "I sister, I never noticed you are very caring and like you're very charming. And I told him, well, I knew <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I knew that when I hug you, I was not feeling fully comfortable because I'm mm-hmm. a hugger. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm hugging people all the time. But um, but then I told him, look, I want to learn about you. Like mm-hmm. I want to learn about your community. To the, and so I started like hanging around um, his family and, and then we went to church, to his Baptist church. And I was just like, whoa, this is like, this is great. And and so I, I really got to know them. Um, and that helped me to change my perspective of, since that day. I've been more careful um, mm-hmm. and I'm always like taking to prayer what I think of a person or something. So with that being said, <laughs> I think... Um, that one part is the communication between the different communities and the different groups. Yeah. Two, it's um, awareness, building awareness mm. of this implicit biases and really start taking to prayer how we feel about a specific person or even yeah. a specific group of people. Yeah. And then discerning why do I feel like this? And is this coming from me and yeah. maybe from a herd of, from the past or uh, yeah. a specific. Group of, of persons, and I'm portraying it, um, or is
0: coming from outside information. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Brenda Noriega of Mary Null Missions about the church in America, the church that she has had the opportunity to see globally, the church that she loves. You can find more of the series that we are creating for you on Catholicism around the world. Over at AveMariaPress.com, click on the top, sign up to get the weekly email straight to your inbox. Never miss a podcast, Facebook Live Conversation article, or social media post. It's all there just for you. That's a really great explanation of how sometimes we we other the other, right? Like we, we see another person, whether it's somebody from a different culture, somebody of a different skin color, somebody even just from a different socioeconomic background, and there's this immediate well, they're not like me, so I don't need to encounter them. And I think so much of that has happened in the American Catholic Church because it's very easy to just kind of live within your own little bubble and never expand beyond. So you being involved in that community organization, like it it gave you the opportunity to say, wait a second, I, I feel this, I see this, I can hear this within myself, I need to check it. I mean, that's a great call out to all of our listeners that like, maybe we all need to kind of be checking it because as Catholics, that's... That's a requirement. Like, like we're not allowed to feel that way about another person. Like we're called to see the image and likeness of God. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you also mentioned earlier about the margins, right? Like, like part of your work with Mary Knoll is really going to the margins is, is, is recognizing that discipleship often requires us to step outside of ourselves. That's a huge thing part of Pope Francis's message, which, you know, quite intimately, you have had lunch with the Pope. Um, you sit on a Vatican commission. Tell us a little bit about the work that you are doing on an international Catholic level with youth and young adult ministry.
1: Yeah, so um, the first ever uh, committee or advisory committee uh, for young people, and that that is great. I'm just, um, I'm still, I'm still waiting to wake up. <laughs> like, how is it's it a possible? huge, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that is, um, well, you were part of the, of the pressing conversation, mm-hmm. right. And in the young people away from the presina, what I've heard, they, they were advocating to continue the dialogue and continue the conversation. And thanks be to God, the, um, the, the fathers, uh, the CNAT fathers ended up putting it on the document on the final document And a year, less than a year after, this advisory committee is formed. And so it's 20 of us from all over the world, um, me being one of them. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is that we don't necessarily represent our countries, although, because it's difficult, especially for me from the United States, I'm like, Wait, I cannot say that I represent all the voices of the young people in the United States. Like that's ridiculous, you know. Um, but we definitely bring witness of yeah. of what we have experienced as young people, but also as young ministers. Mm. What is it that we have experienced with those we work? Um, and the same goes for my other nineteen um, friends. And so, in this witness. Um, we bring these voices to the dicastery of family and la- lady and family life <laughs> and um and so we bring this this to them and then they also consult with us in terms of some projects, but um, all this year it has been about figuring out exactly what is our role, mm-hmm. which was a little bit frustrating at the beginning, especially coming from a, from an American culture. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need to have the objectives and you need to have yep. the you know everything before you even start something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something I've been learning because most of the world don't work that way. Yeah. Most of the like the church. In other places, they don't work like that, especially Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, they do first of reflection and they led those in, in the process um, to actually make decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to make this type of decisions through discernment. So I will say that all 2000... I'm so sorry. There's some background, but... No, <laughs> so you're anyways. good, you're good. Um, But all 2020... It was about getting to know each other mm. and uh, learning each other's realities, which which I loved it because um, it was understanding that language barrier was not an obstacle, but it was actually a, um, a blessing. Yeah. We will move slower. Right. In order to understand each other. Mm. Um, So my role has been to be a witness of the church in the United States, particularly because that's where I live. Um, and so one thing I've been bringing to the table is the diversity. And yeah. this has been shocking for for the other young people. Um, and I experienced that also at the post meeting meeting. Um, it was Brian Root mm-hmm. that you know very well and me. And so when we got up, uh, when they said representatives of the United States, right? Like Brenda, Brian Root. And we, I remember, we like we just like got up, and some people look confused. Like, <laughs> Wait, they said to United States. Are these two going to the restroom? Because, <laughs> you know, like, where are the Hollywood United States, right? Yeah. Um, and so, it has been, um, it has been a journey to to understand how diverse the church is in the world, but also to bring the diversity of the United States to. The world. Which right. Is, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Well, it, that's a great point because at the pre-Synod meeting, at the Synod itself, and then at the post meeting, the United States of America had such a spectrum of people representing them, um, which is a snapshot of, I, th- I think, what you're talking about: that there's diversity even within. What we think is just like a very homogenous white church when in, in reality, it's, it's a very colorful, very diverse, wide ranging experiences. I mean, even within my own diocese, different masses at one single parish are a snapshot of the diversity within the community. And I don't think we always see that you, I loved your point that y'all had to go much slower because of the language barrier. What are some things you learned about your colleagues on this committee that you've maybe brought back to the United States? So like some, some I believe Percival Holt is on this commission. Um, is Percival, am I getting that right? No, maybe not. Maybe he was just at no. the, I'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> but what have, what have you maybe learned about some of these these people that you're working with that you've brought back to your own ministry, to your own experience of American Catholicism?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, it will be the the part that I will bring back. I think is that uh, for American Catholicism, the importance of young people in the United States to get involved in international policy mm. and to uh, know how the resources in the United States are contributing to policies in other countries and how uh, we stand remaining quiet or not getting involved it does affect other countries. And so,
0: uh, can you give me an example, like, of a policy that we should care about?
1: Um, definitely, it will be uh, the environment, right? Uh, yeah. Something that some of the young people have mentioned, and they they try to not point it out, always as the United States, but it always feels like yeah, it's our like, problem. Yeah, our <laughs> problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's how the The policies, the international policies on the environment, are affecting their countries. For example, when the United States is buying or consuming woods at a cheaper price in other countries, Mm -hmm. and or when we bring cheaper woods to other countries, then agricultural is being um, damaged, affected, and. In other in, in other countries, especially in yeah. countries like India or some countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has been brought up and it's been interesting. Another point it has been immigration. Yeah. So immigration seems to be a fact or, or an issue that affects everybody, right? Yeah. That's something that yeah. we can all agree on. Um, and it has been brought up at the committee, uh, either because some people are leaving their countries, um, Another point that has been brought up has been uh, Israel and, mm. you know, the Palestinian is, is uh, affecting more specifically um, my friend and, oh my gosh, I forgot the name. I forgot what uh, where there was this huge bomb.
0: Not where, Iraq. No, no, no. No.
1: That the city exploded.
0: I know what you're talking about. I can cut it. If you, if you want to look it up really quickly. Yeah. Wouldn't I'm trying to. So I uh, we're no, no, it. no. You're good.
1: Um, I can't believe it. This is actually the web person <laughs> I talk to all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, gives me a chance to check the baby cam. Don't worry. Go for it. Lebanon, Lebanon. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, so let's start that over. So the um, yeah. So the Palestinian-Israeli crisis has come up in these conversations.
1: Yes. So, um, do I say it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. So another issue that has been mentioned by, especially my my friend from the Lebanon, is the Israel-Palestinian issues and how the United States continues. Um, basically influencing in mm. a way the bad situation in Lebanon. And during the presidency or, or the, yeah, the presidency, um, how do say the,
0: the transition campaign? Um, oh, the campaign. Okay.
1: Yeah. During the campaign, like the entire committee will bring it up and, and they will be like sending me messages asking about About the 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 campaign, you know, and and going on and everything, and they they were asking if even questions if I was informed Mm. about all the issues and stuff like that. Yeah. So that motivated me to look deeper into what each candidate was offering. Mm -hmm. Um. And they said the entire world is is waiting for a decision because that is going to affect us. Yeah. And and like at that moment, it clicked me. Mm -hmm. Um, It clicked to me. Like, sorry, it clicked. Um. (laughs) I realized that my vote was not only for my own interests, yeah. for the interests of the people in my country, but also for those in the committee yeah. that live in other countries, right? Yeah.
0: And that's a uniquely Catholic thing to, like, recognize that we're not, again, back to your original point, like, we're not within silos of our own little existence, but that, as Catholics especially, like, we... We play a universal role with our life, you know, like our vote, where we spend our dollars, the time that we commit to working on certain projects. And I love that that's a priority of this committee because that does affect our discipleship. Again, like it's not just I pray every day. Prayer is important, but what action is that actually affecting in your life? I guess my last question then, Brenda, and you've shared so many things that I think our listeners are gonna really benefit from thinking about themselves on their own. So we are in a... I guess, a a current COVID world, it's kind of impossible to do anything ministry-wise without thinking of the reality of social distancing, of masks, of vaccinations, of of making sure that we're safe and we're healthy. What do you think Catholics in America, and again, your experience is a very global experience of Catholicism, but, but how do you think Catholicism in America will look in this COVID reality, maybe in a post-COVID world, like there is no going back to how things were. What What do you hope to see? And what do you hope American Catholics really start to do to restore ministry, to restore hope, to to proclaim the gospel?
1: I think we have a great opportunity here. Um, I think Pope Francis has been talking about social friendship. And, mm-hmm. and the pandemic is one issue that unites us with the rest of the world. But it, our ministry needs needs to start looking into bringing awareness that we are all in the same storm, but we are not all in the same boat. Mm. And so we need to, like, look at the blessings we have in the United States and start thinking on ways to sharing those blessings. Yeah. Um, and even in the United States, we know that not everybody is dealing with um, with the issue the same, right? And and so we need to really get out of our comfort zone and out of our bubble and our personal fears. And we need to start looking to those families who have lost their jobs. Um, I love actually how you even were baking, right? For your friends and your (laughs) friends. I love that story. (laughs) Um, And so that actually got me to think on ways I could help here and there. And I think that is a great opportunity. It It is an awakening of of the personal details. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same goes for ministry. It's an awakening of accompaniment, of real accompaniment and more in the one-on-one, um, an awakening for families to take on the on the role of, of being the catechist, right? Of their children and of transmitting the faith. So how it's gonna look like, or what I'm hoping that it looks like after COVID is that we don't lose that. Mm. you say that's something we learn and let's add it to how we used to do things before yeah um i was having a conversation a, a few months ago with uh, bishop barnes and something he mentioned that got me thinking he said that in some articles he has been reading um some sociologists think that it's going to take three generations two to three generations to actually go back to normal Mm -hmm. and and that's like in quotation marks right because what is going to be the normal um because of the fear that has been created in in our brains um we are not going to feel fully comfortable even hacking people or embracing others especially more in the like the public um like the public arena and so um that 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 is the question for us even in ministry when we When we talk about um, getting close to the other and walking to the other, we need to start talking about um, what does that mean? What does Mm -hmm. getting close mean? Um, What does accompaniment really mean? So, yeah, so that is my hope. One, that we continue looking to these opportunities we've learned through the pandemic and that we add that to, to how we used to do ministry before but that we continue or go deeper in the conversation of what it means to um, what personal relationships mean. And and when we talk about social friendship in the sense of Bo Francis talking of, of social justice, now he's switching it to social friendship, what does that mean? Yeah. I think that will be my hope for, for us in the United States to start exploring.
0: Yeah, and to not... To not run from it, I think we run from that more in the states. I mean, I, I'll call myself out because it's a it it can be uncomfortable, right? It can it can dislodge what I've just always done because there's a demand placed upon me, and and that to go back to what you said in the beginning, the laity do play a unique role in a professional context within the American church, but even just in a personal context, the influence that we can choose to have, just even in things we post on social media. So to really bring to to heart, like Pope Francis is calling us to this because of this movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, thanks for bringing that up. Like, that's something that I hope listeners really are challenged by. Brenda, where can we find out more about you and your work with Mary Knoll? Uh, how can we follow you?
1: Yeah, so you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. And on Facebook is just Brenda Noriega, and I have a picture with the Holy Father.
0: So. <laughs> we'll link it in the show notes, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: And so um, Instagram is um, Brenda underscore Noriega underscore Y A for Young Adult and Ministry. So nice. <laughs> yes, that will be that will be the the way.
0: <laughs> cool. And then Mary Noel, is there a way that we can donate to the mission work that you guys do?
1: Please do. Please, please do, um, especially for us to continue the work in the United States with the young adult communities. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about 50 young people who are working on becoming popular leaders in the sense of Pope Francis yeah. um, explains it on Christos vid. And so please, you can donate to our local or international work um, going to marinal.us, and, and that's just like that, marino.us. Um and You're going to find a link right there.
0: (laughs) Awesome. We will definitely link all that. Thank you so much for the time today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you,
0: Cutie. When you think of the church, when you think of yourself as a Catholic, when you think about the church in your zip code 70605 or in Rome or in Mexico or in California or down the street, a different country, with different people, or the people that you've known your whole life and you've worshiped with every Sunday, we can think of the church in so many different ways, big and small. And again, I'll say it, and I'm going to sound like the broken record I often do during these podcast seasons. The point we're trying to make is that when we think about the church in its bigness, we begin to appreciate the church in its particularity. We begin to see the church as beautiful and unique in a a particular way, an experience that is unique to our own area a culture that has inspired and challenged us and has allowed us to pray perhaps better serve even more learn the goodness of god and grow in relationship with jesus christ because place and space matter and where we are worshiping and looking at the church around the world looking at the church globally seeing the church through this lens of how big it is can only help us grow in faith can only help us further understand the goodness of god who has given us this church that we as the people of God, living a life of Catholicism, living a life within this church, sharing this church, that it is good and that it is good that we are here and that it is good that the church exists where it does all over the world in the unique and and particular ways that it exists. This entire series, of course, uh, all the content that we're creating, the articles, the podcasts, the videos, the social media exclusives, everything is available to you on AveMariaPress.com click on over to that website. You can sign up for the weekly emails that come straight to your inbox every Wednesday, two podcasts, a Facebook Live conversation from the day before, excellent things that we are talking about, that we are engaging in, that can push you, that can challenge you, that can inspire you, uh, that can hopefully help you grow deeper in your faith. That's what we exist to do here at Ave Explorers, to help you live your faithful Catholic life a little bit better every single day. So click on over to AveMariaPress.com to find all of that. We'd be grateful for a rating and a review of this show. We'd love it if you'd share it with other people so that they can find the content and they can appreciate it as well. We'd also love it if you would check out our other podcast, Ave Spotlight, with my co-host Chanel Shaw. Every Monday morning, we talk about something relevant to the Catholic world that particular day. So we hope that you enjoy all of the things that we're creating for you. You can find more about it all over at AveMariaPress.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week, and we hope you join us again.